Welcome to the Enlightened Practice Podcast, brought to you by the Luminello Electronic Medical Record folks. Here are your hosts, Dr. Ken Braslow and Dr. Carrie Kagan. Hi, Carrie. Welcome back. Hi, Ken. Thanks. Today, we're going to talk about startup costs, something that is useful to know uh, because you need to have some cash in the bank in order to start a practice, but maybe not as much as you would expect and certainly not as much as you need in other uh, fields of medicine or uh, maybe in other industries, uh, relatively speaking. When I started out, I was like, well, what do you need? A couch? You know, like I thought, (laughs) how hard could this be? Um, So it's a little more complex than that, but um, not tremendously so. Um, so what I figured we would do today is uh, I went back in my um, old QuickBooks um, ledgers and just um, teased out what are some of the costs that I um, had to um, deal with when I was starting out. Um, granted, uh, it was quite some time ago, but I think the, um, the actual costs themselves have gone up because of inflation, but the concepts are the same. And so today we'll just talk about the concepts. Obviously, the the amount of money will be different geographically speaking, what kind of couch you like, uh, if you're subletting or leasing. So um, we're not going to put a specific dollar on it per se, but uh, we just want um, those of us who are going into practice to be um, knowing what they're getting into and feeling confident about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this topic. I think it would have been helpful for me to have listened to something like this um, when I was first getting into it as well. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So first on the list, um, I broke it up into different buckets. Um, so one is just, you got to have an office. Although I will say with the pandemic, uh, the concept of the office has changed. Um, but whether you are going to see clients and patients in the office or not, you need some space to do your thing. So let's just assume that you're going to have your own office. Uh, You certainly could have a home office if you're going to work virtually. There are still some clinicians who see patients and clients in their home office, uh, but then I would treat that just as any other office. Um, in terms of what you need to get it ready for patients. Um, mm-hmm. So rent, I think, would be pretty clear as one of the key expenses, unless you're going to, it's going to be a home office. But then you need to for- factor that into your mortgage, I assume, right. uh, or your house rental payment, that that could be more expensive to have the space to yeah. do that at home. Exactly. And then a security deposit typically is required, maybe um, first and last month's rent in a more typical commercial um, lease arrangement. Um, Maybe, Karen, you want to comment any thoughts on subletting versus um, having your own lease? I know that could be a whole nother conversation between us, but just from a startup cost. Yeah. um, yeah, from a startup cost perspective, I definitely think subleasing is a more inexpensive 
way to go because usually that means that you're getting a package deal. So everything already in the office, including furniture and internet and and, and all the stuff I'm sure we'll talk about today. Um, of course, you know, it's all included as opposed to if you're getting your own lease, there's a good chance you're going to have to uh, subsidize everything on your own, including buying furniture and, and all that stuff. So it is a more expensive um, way to start, although there are ways to offset the costs as well, such as subletting to someone else. Um, and there are pros and cons to each, which we could potentially talk about in a different... I think um, you've just uh, <laughs> uh, given us our next podcast. And we only got through a few minutes here. Um, yeah, I recall uh, I started out subletting and uh that was great except the couch was horrible um and you know those things are really meaningful to patients and clients if they walk in and it's a floral couch and and the carpet's dirty and or it's a mess in there it really says a lot about your practice to them and they don't know you're subletting and they don't care Right. Yeah. So uh, you have to really be careful about who you're going to sublet from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I will add that when you are considering cost and in, in a when you're getting started, I do think it's definitely worth thinking through. You know, the office is a pretty high priority um, thing to potentially put money in for that reason, because it, it does reflect who you are. And I, not just what the clients thought, but I remember a really um, uh, not so nice office that I subletted early on, and I didn't feel like myself in it. Um, I, I truly felt different compared, I was subletting two offices at that time, which is something to be factored in as well as far as mm-hmm. cost goes. Yes. And I remember feeling different as a therapist in one versus the other. Um, so I actually do think it's an expense that is, should be considered, you know, a higher priority or something, you know, to put more, if you were going to pick and choose what to spend money on, I think the office is a pretty important one um, in terms of your practice. Okay. All right. Um, let's move on. Um, good thoughts. Um, and the next bucket um, that um, I thought about was technology. Um, I was just visualizing what goes in the office. And so you have your, you need a computer, most likely, mm-hmm. um, unless you're yeah. um, somehow able to practice in the 20th century. Or a tablet, uh, a computer or a yeah. tablet, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, that's maybe another podcast on uh, yeah. pros and cons of a, a paper practice versus a uh, electronic. But um, yeah, you you have the core equipment costs, monthly internet bill, um, a um, uh, thinking about costs for your cell phone, um and costs for your EMR um, or EHR, and then things that might go along with that, like insurance claim submission. If you are contracting with insurance companies and you want to submit electronically, there's usually um, a cost that goes along with that. 
Uh, if you want to accept credit cards uh, and the convenience of it, there's a cost that comes along with that. Um, hopefully those are integrated into the EMR. Um, so I'm kind of bundling that under EMR, um, although they could be put in other categories. Um, other technology expenses that you can think of? Okay. Um, yeah, just expanding on the the phone expense, something to consider is are um, certain services that you would use through the phone. Mm. Like um, uh, there are um, uh, confidential services that you can pay for um, to be able to call clients confidentially um, and for them to leave voicemails confidentially. Um, so it's just like a service that you would yeah. pay monthly fee for. Um, that's a good point. It makes me also think about e-fax services. Yeah. Um, want to go that route. And then some, um, clinicians are more common in groups, but occasionally individuals will have an answering service that, um, acts, um, as a buffer after hours between them and their clientele. Talk about that at a different time. Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah, good thoughts. And then there's always, um, new technology coming out and reinvesting in new phones and computers and stuff. But hopefully you just have one set of those expenses. I will say some clinicians have a tablet for their clients and patients. If they're going to do rating scales in the waiting room or things like that. Right. Exactly. Okay. Let's move on to uh, other kind of non technology stuff in the office. Uh, just, property in general. So you need a couch, um, you need a chair mm -hmm. and you, on the one hand might want to, if you're not subletting, you might want to keep your costs low in that area. Cause those can add up on the flip side. It's like a good mattress. You're spending much of your life, uh, in your, um, in your chair, whether you're doing, um, therapy all day or meds and therapy or just admin time, uh, we spend a lot of time in our chair, so I highly recommend a, a, a comfortable chair. Um, and then for the couch, um, any thoughts on uh, <laughs> furniture arrangement or furniture yeah. purchasing decisions? Yeah, I think that it, I guess it's personal choice in terms of what people decide, you know, is worth like splurge versus saving. I agree with you that I do think that there, the chair, the therapist chair is a particular place to splurge. I think you can still get a decent couch that fits your style and is comfortable without a total, without like breaking the bank. So that's a place that I would probably find some kind of middle ground. Um, since really clients are, are sitting in it for usually less than an hour. Um, um, but yeah, and other things to factor in just when you're thinking about cost are just like decorative <laughs> things around the office. And I know it seems kind of silly, but it actually does really add to the vibe. So just something to think about, like what you would want to put on the wall and stuff like that. And those are the things that I would probably, me personally, I would try to save a little bit and go, you know, we have so much access now to decent things at like a reasonable price. So those are areas that I would um, save in. But the bigger picture is 
these are things that probably you would have for a long time, whether it's for your office or you could always bring it into your home. So it's something that it's, it's, you know, hopefully these things will have a long lifespan. So it's something that might be worth spending a decent amount of your startup money on. Good thought. Okay. Um, one thing that uh, goes back in the technology list, um, but it's stuff in your office would be if you're going to have a separate monitor um, mm -hmm. and what about a desk? And, right. <laughs> you know, so for some people with a laptop, and if everything's electronic, the, the need for a desk has been reduced and it could take up a good amount of space in your office. On the flip side, it's really nice not to have your chair be your desk. So right. another Something thing to think through. Yeah. 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 Um, and then who's going to keep it clean? And mm -hmm. so do you do that yourself? Do you hire a cleaning crew? Um, mm -hmm. on a regular routine basis or maybe uh, for a spring cleaning or yeah. so that's a cost that should be factored in. Yeah. Which actually might be more important now than ever before. Um, mm -hmm. Because there are, you know, with the coronavirus, it's something that people have become much more aware of. It, mm -hmm. um, so it actually is something, you know, we're thinking about in terms of, yeah, putting aside money for that each month or whatever frequency feels right to you. Some offices come with cleaning automatically. Um, it's included in the, the package, um, depending where you run. Yeah. Right. Others, you got to take out your own trash. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, moving on to um, other kind of professional services that you might need moving on from office stuff. I was thinking about just the general financial operations of the practice. Um, so you you may want a bookkeeper uh, if you don't want to spend your time or you're not confident about your skills and doing your own bookkeeping. Um, I use QuickBooks in my own practice. Uh, so I guess uh, I realize software is a category that uh, we didn't uh, touch on before, but we can include that now. Um, so a bookkeeper can do your books for you. Um, or um, I'll tell you what I did was I just hired a bookkeeper from the first month to like, I had no idea what I was doing. And I just said, walk me through this. And then the second month I did it and I sent it to them and they said, here's where you screwed up and here's where you did okay. And then that was it from that point on. But then the first time I had taxes due, then I generated the reports that I thought I needed. I ran it by them and I said, did I do this right? So I had kind of a, a QuickBooks mentor um, mm -hmm. help me with that. But um, mm -hmm. so a bookkeeper is somebody who just helps you with the day-to-day -day financial accounting. But then uh, typically you'd have an accountant uh, to do your taxes at the end of the year, unless you want to do them on your own which you could do and is much less expensive, but is also um, much, takes more time. And if it's going to take you three hours to do your taxes, especially if you are a corporation or an LLC or any kind of entity other than a solo proprietorship, do you want to spend three hours doing your taxes or spend three hours seeing clients and patients and that pays for the account? And then you don't have to think. Um, right. so, and then, of course, accountants are um, 
you know, if you're doing more complex um, financial stuff, um, like if you own the office building or something, highly recommend an accountant, but that doesn't seem like how most people start out. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking about a bank. You need some place to um, have the money go. And I don't think that's a significant fee for most people, but it's out there. And then a payroll service. If you have any employees, uh, you'll need to pay them and withhold payroll taxes. And um, you, again, can do that on your own. And it's often a matter of time versus money. Um, so it's far, far more efficient to have an automated service where you can enter the amount that you want to pay and then all the taxes are withheld automatically and all the paperwork sent to all the different government agencies. So that mm. that's a cost. Any other financial operations costs that come to mind? I think that you touched on all of the ones that I can think of and that are all, um, except for payroll, all the ones that I have to manage on a month to month or that's one thing I guess I can add to the bookkeeper and the accountant is usually those are one time fees, you know, depending on how often you use them. But usually it's like around gearing up for tax season that you use those two services. So that's not a month to month thing. Although once you get a sense of how much it costs at the one time fee, you could potentially be putting money aside for that each month. Um, but other than what you already mentioned, I think, um, I don't have anything to add in that category from a financial perspective. All right, let's move on oh, to I the... guess actually one thing, and we might cover this later, but is the um let me see what it is. Is the uh the fees associated with um cr processing credit cards. Mm -hmm. Um that is usually just taken out of whatever you charge someone. So if you charge someone a hundred dollars and there's a 3% processing fee, you're not actually going to get a hundred dollars. You're going to get a little bit, a hundred dollars less 3%. So it's just something to um, keep in mind as you're trying to figure out how many clients you have to take in order to maintain your, not only just maintain your monthly expenses, but of course, earn an income on top of that. Okay. That's good. Good point. All right, uh, legal. Um, hopefully you don't need legal support too much, but in the beginning, if you want to incorporate or depending on your state, they let you become an LLC or um, you were gonna need paperwork for that, you could do that online, but you get what you pay for. So you can use generic documents and hope that they're a good fit for your practice. Um, or you can hire a lawyer who's helps clinicians and has done a hundred of these and can um, customize it just for you and know really what you need to be worrying about. And then just general questions you may have about running a practice. Sometimes your malpractice company um, is good at answering these questions, uh, but sometimes it's, it's not um, clinical care related. And so they're not going to be able to help you with the other kinds of questions, um, like negotiating a lease, for example, they're not going to help you with that. So 
you can do it on your own to take your chances or you can pay for advice. Um, so that's what comes to mind in the legal category. Um, any other thoughts? No, I have nothing to add to that other than it probably won't be a regular expense. <laughs> no, okay, that's a good point. Hopefully. Hopefully. Okay, uh, let's move on to marketing your practice. Um, so, um, just like all these other categories, lots of different ways you can do that. Um, there's free ways and there's paid ways. Um, I think we could certainly talk uh, at least one or more podcasts on about how to market your practice, but let's try and stay focused on paid ways here. Um, you likely are going to want to have a website uh, and you need somebody to host that. Um, you might want to advertise uh, either in Google ads or some other um, forum or website that is geared for um, that kind of service. And, and then I'm thinking kind of non-electronic. Uh, if you want to take people out to lunch, if you want to network, uh, join the country club, um, then uh, you probably want to put aside money for that. Um, other thoughts on paid marketing expenses you might want to save for? Um, not off the top of my head. I could just expand though on the website. That's usually an annual cost, like a one a once a year cost. So um, just not something that you would necessarily have to be putting money aside every month, although that's one way to make sure you have the money by the end of the year. Um, so, and it's usually not a huge cost, although I only have experience with the hosts that I host my website on. So I don't know all, that's true for all of them, but um, yeah. So it's, I, I just think it's a good, important category because a little can go a long way because marketing is pretty important for getting referrals. Yeah. Usually with your own website, um, you just have to factor in the cost of um, the host of um, the domain name, like myname.com, and um, an SSL certificate, if one isn't included um, in your uh, hosting plan. Uh, okay, uh, I think that's um, that's fine for now, and we'll come back to this maybe in a different uh, podcast on, about yeah. marketing. Uh, let's talk about insurance, uh, a must-have, um, malpractice insurance. Uh, for sure, anybody who's you're going to work for is going to require you to have that policy if they don't provide it themselves. Um, but you really don't want to be in private practice without a malpractice policy. Um, then your own health insurance. And um, being in private practice, you... Sometimes get it through your partner or spouse. Uh, sometimes you um, get it on your own um, through uh, marketplace. And then disability insurance comes to mind. Uh, very useful, um, especially if you don't have a big pot of savings set aside in case of an emergency. And um, that you can usually get through your malpractice carrier for additional, or you could seek it out through other professional associations. Mm -hmm. Any other insurance expenses that come to mind? Yeah, then there's also, I'm probably going to be saying this wrong, but there's something like renter's insurance that you oh, usually yeah. need to get. Um, 
where basically, yeah, it covers if there's like an injury at your office, it covers you there. Um, that is, it's not, well, I guess it, it might vary depending on where you live. In my experience, it was not a huge cost, but it is a monthly cost. Um, but that's another kind of inheritance. Yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes it's under a general liability policy, not a malpractice yeah. policy, but a separate right. policy. Sometimes malpractice companies include a, they call it a banana peel policy, a slip and fall policy um, within your malpractice, but you shouldn't assume that. And you should be yeah. really clear on that. Um, yeah. Your landlord may require a separate uh, renter's insurance policy or general liability policy. They may not accept a malpractice policy. Uh, the other thing that actually um, came to mind while you were saying that is if you have an employee, you need to have workers' comp insurance um, on their behalf. And um, this is why a lot of people like to have independent contractors work for them because this can get expensive on the flip side. Um, if you want to encourage your employees to stay with you long-term, you should treat them well and take care of them. And so that's a whole other discussion though, but uh, just something to think about. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Um, I have a, a different kind of miscellany category under uh, regulatory and government. Uh, so what comes to mind there is your own professional license and um, a business license, if that's required in the um, where you're practicing, and any building permits or location or zoning or any other kind of uh, fees that go along with that, and then um, you know maybe I mean, it's not governmental, but like a professional um, other quasi-regulatory bodies, like in psychiatry, there's um, the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, and um, you want to stay in their good graces, and you want to be board certified. So so those are the um, regulatory annual fees that I can think of. Can you think of any more? Nope, those are the, the ones that I'm most familiar with. Um, yeah, and I do just want to, for anyone who might be starting to have a small panic attack about all the different things we have to <laughs> yeah. pay for, and we still have some more to go, um, that, you know, for a lot, all of these fees are deductible as part of, you know, your um, business. And so it's, yeah, it might not feel as overwhelming as it sounds hearing all of them listed out <laughs> in a row. Yeah. If you're listening at home, you might want to have a spreadsheet. Uh, you know, we'll post this list of um, expenses on our website. So that way uh, you don't have to be like uh, furiously writing these down um, at home and you start a spreadsheet and, and you can see how much they they add up to kind of a monthly and an annual. Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, moving on. Um, I have a miscellaneous category, although it seems early for miscellaneous, but um, I think I'm going, um, was getting, uh, was losing focus at this point. So I decided to, to do some simple ones. So postage, I don't know if anybody buys stamps anymore. Um, <laughs> if you have to mail stuff, pens, Papers, whiteout, 
um, <laughs> erasers, uh, whiteboard, markers. Can you yeah, think of other? Office supplies. Yes, office supplies. Yeah. That's a much uh, yeah. better way to put it. Um, yeah. Yes. Magazines. <laughs> for your waiting room. Yeah, I know office supplies are, and I, I guess I would actually add to there also um, amenities for clients, right? So coffee, tea, water, those are real expenses um, that are nice to have as a client is waiting in the waiting room to be able to, um, you know, get a comforting cup of tea or to have access to clean drinking water, those are things that are nice to be able to offer and, and, you know, or something to consider when you're thinking about expenses. I like the tea thought. Uh, <laughs> and I guess cups <laughs> to go along yep. with that. Cups. Uh, right. Okay. Sugar, uh, creamer, the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. You can have a little fridge at your mm -hmm. office. Um, Absolutely. I I had uh, I made the mistake a microwave. I yeah. made the mistake of having uh, um, a very yummy Indian lunch uh, one time, and my next patient immediately commented on the uh, aroma in the office. <laughs> so uh, you have to be careful about where you're going to eat. And, yeah, uh, that, that goes and, into you know, are you going to have a kitchen, a different room, and yeah. We're getting an oil diffuser that that yeah, has a lavender point. scent. Uh, I should have had this conversation with you 10 years ago. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, moving on, travel expenses. So unless you're going to work from home, uh, you need to get where you're going. Um, if you can walk, how, how nice that is. But if you can't, you're either going to use public transit and... Um, have to pay for that, or you're going to have to drive and pay for parking, potentially, maybe tolls, gas, um, maintenance on your car. Yeah, all of that. And I and I guess just to expand on parking, there could also be parking permits that you get for wherever your office is located. And that, I believe, is an annual fee um, that you just re keep renewing. And that can that would be more cost effective than paying for parking in a parking lot every day, which I've done both. And I can speak <laughs> to saying that the more cost effective from, I can speak from experience when I say the more cost effective thing is to get a permit usually than paying a, to a parking toll every single day mm -hmm. or whatever days you're at the office. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Makes sense. Okay. Um, professional development is uh, one of our uh, few remaining categories. And under that, I put, if you want to pay to go to conferences, whether in person or online. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you're going to a conference, you have to think about the revenue that you're not bringing in. So you may or may not want to consider that part of the cost. Then there's the cost of the conference. And if you're traveling, there's airfare, hotel, food, those sorts of things. Uh, continuing education, um, whether it's online or at the conference, I guess if it's at the conference, that's included, um, but very efficient to do CME or CEUs online, mm -hmm. come at a cost, um, books, good old fashioned, uh, reading, expanding your, your horizons, um, mm -hmm. 
doing a professional consultation. So if it's peer consultation, that's typically free. But if you're working with somebody who's more senior than you and they're giving you your time, you usually pay for their time. Mm -hmm. And then one's own psychotherapy. Uh, if you didn't have that as part of a training and you're going to be doing psychotherapy, then there's a lot of value in going through your own psychotherapy, being on the other side of the couch. Yeah. So I consider that professional development with the bonus of it being your own uh, psychological yeah. development too. Other professional development you can think of? Okay. Not that I can think of, but I would just add to what you already have here, just to say that when you're, when you zooming out and you take into consideration all of the things that we've talked about so far, I think professional development is one of, I guess it's personal opinion, but in my experience, it's one of the more, it's a high priority for me in terms of where I'm wanting to put my money. And cause I think mm -hmm. it's investment in yourself and um, yeah, it does like, for example, a conference would get very pricey. I don't think you can do it multiple times a year, but every once in a while for, you know, improving your, your clinical expertise, I think it's a investment that's well worth it because, um, even if it takes away from some clients in the moment, I think you're adding to your um, knowledge base and expertise that will contribute to a, a more hopefully successful practice in the long term. So this is an area that I think is important. To yes. That's a great point. So refreshing to actually get out of the office yeah. and be amongst colleagues. You feel part of a community and your brain is just in learning mode. And that's a yeah. really nice uh, exactly. uh, way to absorb new material. Okay. Um, last category. This is if you're going to have an assistant um, or uh, employees, if you're in a clinic or a group, our benefits for them, uh, health insurance, um, other flexible spending plans, pre-tax plans, commuter plans, things like that. Um, probably don't need to worry about that on the first day, but we'll include that in the list. So, uh, Carrie, I think you had a really good point halfway through about the panic attack that uh, you might be feeling here. Um, this is why some people don't go into private practice. Uh, they don't want to have to think about the stuff. They just want to show up and see patients and clients and do their thing. And that's, that's understandable. Mm -hmm. And that's typically if you're joining a group or a clinic or you're an employee, uh, all of these expenses are still there, but the group or the clinic or the employer is absorbing them and doing all the thinking for you. And however, on the flip side, um, if you break these down just one at a time and set up, uh, prioritize for yourself what needs to be done and realize that you don't have to have it all done on the first day. Some things you have to have done before you see your first patient or client, but not all of this. And uh, setting up a budget could be really useful. And um, you, you do have to make sure that the economics of private practice work for you. Um, you have to think about how much money is coming in and how much is going out. And so uh, it's very doable if you break it down and you uh, go slow and uh, yeah. judiciously. So, um, yeah. Yep. 
like any business, <laughs> um, it takes some time to get started. But I, I agree with you of all the different kinds of businesses. I, I feel like this one, starting your own private practice is, is on the more manageable side, despite all the expenses we just talked about. Right? Yeah, you're not opening a complex industrial uh, factory. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> okay, well, um, Thank you so much for your thoughts, Carrie. This is great. And if any of our listeners want to um, chime in with any questions, we're always happy to, or, or thoughts or things we left out, we're always happy to hear about them. And we'll get a, um, we'll either post this list or even uh, maybe a spreadsheet of these um, for you to play around with at home. And we'll look forward to chatting soon and um, continuing to talk about um, life and private practice and making it work. Thanks, Thanks, Ken. Take care. Bye. If you like today's podcast and want to hear more, don't forget to click the subscribe button. And to learn more about starting and growing your own private practice, go to luminella.com and look for the Private Practice Hub.